for you. Uh, and you're handing and you're passing it around. You see it. We are continuing our series. Yes, perfect. We're continuing our series on growing in um, the grace of the gospel. And we talked last week about uh, why we need to. Uh, who can who can kind of fill us in about a little bit of last week? What you remember? Why we need to? I feel like Ben Stein. Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Um, it was on what, the R's, right? <laughs> it was the R's. What was the, what was the idea behind uh, growing in grace? Do, do, we, do we have a, um, a, a duty, a requirement before God to, to walk down the aisle, get dunked in the tank, and then just leave it alone? Or is there something that the Bible calls us to do as Christians? Do Yes. The question assumes the answer, and what the answer is yes. And what is it that, that we're required and called to do? Grow mature in grace. <coughs> and how do we discuss um, we were supposed to do that? Spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines, okay. There are four R's, at least four. At least four R's. And we, I think there may be one more. Reading, writing, arithmetic. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Um, so Ty has it. Uh, and your handout, handout is uh, arithmetic this week. Um, so we talked about how that uh, the, 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 the Bible teaches us um, some disciplines, some means of grace, we call them, on growing in, in grace. And um, the problem we run into is that there it is. We have a list. And our list is our law. And we're growing in grace by a law. Right? And I don't read my Bible every 30 minutes, you know, for 30 minutes every day. I must, you know, that kind of thing. We talked about a focus um, in growing in grace last week that even though Christ gives us a means of growth, what's the, what's the point of all of these things? The reading, the prayer, the, um, the repentance we talked about is the other R, not arithmetic. Um, and, and the reaching out, I think, so we said the, the regular evangelism, um, and regular fellowship was the fifth one. So what, what is the focus of all of this? Is it so I can check a list, check it twice, see if I'm naughty or nice? Sorry, it's to be, it's to be sanctified. Right. It's to grow closer uh, and be more conformed to the image of Christ. The goal is Jesus. And all of this, it's not the list. This is the right answer in Sunday school, Jesus. So... Um, that's the focus. When I read, I read to see Him and get to know Him. When I pray, I display my dependence upon Him and I, and I get to know Him. When I'm repenting, I'm going to the cross and I'm seeing Him. You see how this works. This week, we're going to look at um, reading. Hey, Jenny. Welcome. Uh, I'm going to uh, pray now because Jenny's here and it's all we need it. So, so let's as we as we begin to think about how do we read scripture um, with Christ in mind. Uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. I thank you for this group. I thank you that your Spirit is moving us and growing us into the image of Jesus. That is His um, work. In the Trinity, the Father sets the agenda, the Son accomplishes redemption, and the Spirit moves <clears throat> and conforms and calls us into Christ. And so we pray that we 
are um, yielding to him, as Paul calls us to, that we hear um, in the words of your scripture how we are to conform to Jesus, how the means of grace are to work in our lives. And we pray that as we look at one of them, the, um, the reading of scripture, the study of your word, that you would make it alive to us, that you would call us to uh, the holy calling of visiting and uh, feasting on your word um, daily. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. There's a story that I read, that I have read to my kids, and you may have heard it. Um, it's called Petunia the Goose. Do you, do you remember this one, Petunia the Goose? No? It is. It's very, it's a, it's, the story begins with this, this goose out in the meadow. Okay, she's a silly goose. And, and in the meadow she discovers something. Tammy reads the story and she, she does it with a great voice. And I'm going to try to get her to do it today, but I don't know if she will. Um, so so after, after some effort of discovering this thing, she identifies it. She's seen it. Uh, she's seen Bill the farmer's son with this thing. And, and it's a book, right? And she recalls that Mr. Pumpkin, the farmer... Uh, his name is Bill. Well, the, Bill's the farmer's son, see. Oh. Let's get, I need a, I'm going to draw a chart. Okay. <laughs> uh, Bill, the farmer's son, had one. But Mr. Pumpkin says, uh, He who owns books and loves them is what, Tammy? You're not going to do it, are you? You're going to leave me hanging. <laughs> is wise. So Petunia goes off knowing that she is wise. And, and, and being wise, she becomes proud. And she, she says the, to the other animals who see that she's, she's got this book, uh, she, they begin believing that Petunia, this silly goose, is also wise. And she just leads them through all this kind of nonsense. Um, matters come to a head... Right. She got a longer neck. Yeah. The, the more so proud. In the book, she... her neck gets so long you can't see her head. Right. Because she's so proud. What's well, a thin book? Anyway, so <laughs> so you have this this whole situation comes to a head around this this box labeled firecrackers that the animals find. Okay. And ah, oh, wise petunia, they shouted, "We found this box in the ditch beside the road. Maybe it's food, petunia. Please tell us what the writing on it says." And Petunia says, and I can't do Tammy's voice, she says, glad to help. Now let's see, why candies? That's what it says on that box. Yes, candies, you may eat them. Yes, of course. And no sooner is she told them to eat them, that they eat them, and the thing just explodes, and all their little greedy mouths, and they get burned, and all this kind of stuff. So all the animals are burned and bruised, and suddenly Petunia spies the book. It's open so that the pages showed. And she had never seen them before, this wise goose. And she saw something written inside the book, which she could not read. So she sat down and thought and thought and thought and thought and thought. Until at last she sighed, now I understand. It was not enough to carry wisdom under my wing. I must put it in my mind and heart. And to do that, I must learn to read. Right? Great little educational story. <laughs> if you want to grow in the grace of the gospel, you have to learn to study what he has revealed about himself. How should a Christian approach the study of the Bible? 
And notice that I said study, not merely read it. It's not a newspaper. We read it. We feast on it. What does it say? Why are the words put there the way they are? Um, if you are a Christian, and I'm talking to you as if you are, uh, then you're a theologian. All of you. You may not get paid to do it, but you're a theologian. And what is a theologian? Someone that learns about God. You either do it well, or you do it poorly. <coughs> you do it right, or you do it wrong. And we have to learn how to do it rightly. The minute someone asks you, who is Jesus, you're moved into theology and doctrine. Right? Deal with it. God wants your mental worship as well as your heart, soul, and strength. Mind is included in the list, and this is part of it. Um... We are instructed to study to show ourselves approved unto God. Why don't we? Why do we neglect that basic need of the Christian life? What do you think? Why do we neglect it? Conviction, laziness, lack of discipline. Conviction, laziness, lack of discipline. Well, you just gave away my answers. That's great. Excellent. So I, I think there are a couple of myths, though, that we tend to gravitate toward. Um, one, one is, um, it's just too hard to understand. Did anybody wrestle with that one? I'm reading through some of these minor prophets, and my eyes are crossing. I'm reading through some of Paul's letters, and, and even Peter's eyes crossed at some of, you know, he says, which are hard to understand. You know, Peter says this. Um, and we all want to hear, um, I know. It's too deep, too profound. Hey, but way to go on your efforts in trying to unravel such a mysterious and obscure book. I mean, isn't that what we want to hear? If we can read a newspaper, we can read the Bible. In fact, there are probably uh, more difficult words and concepts expressed in the, on the front page, I know, of the Tyler Morning Telegraph. Think about that. Than there are in the average passage in the Bible. Concepts. Uh, okay, maybe vocabulary, I'll put it that way. Right, right, right. But if it's simple to understand that um, even a child can understand it and yet yeah. deep enough for the most uh, learned among us to wrestle, then that's a pretty amazing book. Yeah, one of the founding, that's one of the founding principles of the Reformation, that, that you don't have to have letters behind your name to read it. Um, all right, the other myth, it's just too boring. And I don't get this one, personally, but that, that I've heard it. Uh, perhaps it's due to the fact that we're dealing with cultures uh, at least 2,000 years before ours. There's this kind of foreignness about the material. Um, we don't cut up cows, put them on altars to burn. At least I don't know of anybody that does. I mean, if you... Um, we don't... Uh, we don't uh, have to go to, um, uh, you know, watch uh, uh, certain um, situations in court. We don't go. We don't go to a king's palace to get judgments rendered. Um, we don't. We don't. We're not a monarchy, so we don't get monarchy in America. So there's some of those things that are are foreign to us, but the characters are real, right? They're real people. Their struggles and concerns are are very much. Like ours, I think. I think the issue is is 
just as Jenny said, the real issue is that it's study. And we don't like, I mean, study all the time anyway. What, just something else to study. Um, study is work. But we have a biblical basis for Bible study, and we're called to it, even though it may be, um, may be work. Second uh, Timothy three, fourteen through seventeen. If you have a Bible with you, please turn in your copy to Second Timothy three, fourteen through seventeen. This is Paul's final letter. We believe. He didn't write Hebrews. Um, this is Paul's final letter, and even then, Hebrews is written earlier. Um, he's looking toward martyrdom, and he's giving the last um, bit of wisdom, the, 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 the encouragement that he can to his protege, Timothy. And, and look at one of the things he focuses on. Starting in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Why trust them? Why, why put so much effort into understanding these sacred writings, he calls them? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be almost there. Better than most. Competent, it says. The word there has a feeling, uh, has, a, has an, a, a meaning or an understanding of complete. Some translations actually use that word, complete. If I um, am going skiing, which I will not, if I go skiing and a store advertises to me complete outfitting for skiing, do I go to the store, get everything they say, and then go to Walmart for something else? Uh, number one, no, it's Walmart. Number two, um, no, the store said it's a complete outfitter, right? The word of God is complete, what other ultimate authority do I need? Equipped for every good work, he says. This is where we need to be going. Uh, there is knowledge without wisdom, but there is never wisdom without knowledge. We need to be doing it. Uh, we need to be focused on what is true, what is right, because there's a lot of nonsense that goes on in the world. Spend some time on Facebook reading status updates. And you will see, well, maybe you shouldn't. It's crazy. Some of the things that are posted are absolutely nonsense. But you know how they're nonsense? Because you're familiar with the truth, right? How do you respond to these things? How do you, in your own heart, wrestle with name it and claim it stuff? Well, because you know it's false. Because you've read it and you've studied it and, you've, and you have pondered over why um, we're submitting to God and not calling God into submission to us through those kinds of doctrines. All right. I'm not saying that we don't need teachers and scholars to help bring out things in the text that we may not be aware of from time to time. Some of the cultural issues are, are helpful and some of the ways that it relates together are, are helpful. Um, but we 
have the duty to test everything against the ultimate authority of the description. You can't do that if you're not familiar with it. All right, so there's some of the whys. Um, I want to get into some of the hows. Now, for the sake of time, because I only have another um, 50 minutes to talk with, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I have given you a handout that goes through kind of 10 rules of how to read the Bible. We're going to try to cover as many of those as we can, but we'll probably get into some kind of conversation uh, in a little bit. All right. If we're studying the Bible and we come at it with the idea of, say you're in a one-to-one or you're in a group like this or a, a small group at a house and, and you're reading a passage and the question is, uh, you know, what does this mean? And somebody says to you, well, I feel, or this means to me, <coughs> give a little grace, but realize that you shouldn't give a rip what it means to them <coughs> or how they feel about what it's saying. I feel that it means this. What we're trying to get at is what the author intended, right? What we're trying to get at is what the Holy Spirit meant when he wrote it to those people at that time and how it applies to us. There are two major, huge words that, that if you, I'll give them to you and use them at your next party, um, that deal with how we discuss this. One is uh, exegesis, and one is eisegesis. What, do you, what, what, is, what is the difference between the two? I see Jesus. I see Jesus. No, I see it's Jesus not. Jesus is like taking things out of the text, like what's already there, and I see Jesus is like trying to put your own like meaning into the text, like trying to read into it. If Scripture is breathed out by the Holy Spirit, breathed out by God, right? We need to be pulling what He's breathing out, rather than blowing back, <laughs> right? <laughs> Putting stuff into the Bible. Um, many times we, we want to, um, we want to, um, well, I, one time I went to, I was, I was teaching a high school, uh, class at another, uh, another uh, venue, and, uh, I, I, um, I brought in a flask, Ooh, flask, it's a Baptist church too, I brought in a flask, <laughs> and I said, what's in the flask? And there were a range of answers can imagine some of them. Mr. Ryan, you got enough biases are coming out. They're assuming things that are in the flask that they don't know what's in there. Finally, one kid was smart enough to know me and says, "If it's got a container and Mr. Ryan is holding it, it's probably got coffee in it." Yeah, but but again, that's a bias. That's an assumption. I had brought uh, Kool Aid just that day just to, <clears throat> to mess with them. But so. That was not red. <laughs> it was great. Wild berry. Um, so, so we all come at something with our own biases, right? We all come at it with our own assumptions of what the text says. And there are some, over time, uh, we've developed um, a set of, of a grid through which we try to read the Bible exegetically rather than eisegetically. Notice I'm, I'm, I'm pointing to the right with exegesis and I'm pointing to the left with eisegesis. I, I hope you catch the significance there. Okay, so what are some rules? What? It's our right. Nuts. <laughs> See, it's a mirror. It's a reflection. It's right for me. It's right for you. All right. Rule number one. Rule number one. 
Uh, read it like any other book. What? I thought you just said all scriptures read that by God. That's not any other book. Who created language? Jesus. Always a good answer in Sunday school. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying the Bible's not inspired, infallible, but a noun is still a noun. Is it not? Is a verbs? Is a verb still a verb? Are verbs verbs or nouns nouns? Uh, he uses language. He uses our language. Um, the 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 prayer is that the Holy Spirit will illuminate the significance of a passage. The, the the prayer will not teach you to discern between a metaphor and a historical narrative. No, that takes study. What what is what does it mean when he says he hides, he hides us as a hen hides her chicks under her wings? Does that mean that God has foul-like tendencies? You know, what, what, what does that mean? Well, it's a metaphor. We understand that. We use reasonable, ordinary means to understand the language. right? Um, and, and one of the things that I want to warn you against, and, I, and we've all done it, I've done it, and on occasion it's really been cool, but, but it's not the normal means, is to get your Bibles and to just sit them like this. Oh God, I need a word, you know? And you just, wow! And it just opens up into some random passage. And that's why most people spend most, a lot of people spend most of their time in the Psalms because it's just right in the middle. In the middle, it's a natural break in the spine. <laughs> which is not bad, except that that's not study. That's randomness. But every, I don't know, you're going to say, but what about Proverbs? It says every dice that's cast in the lap is from... I can see it in your eyes. The point is, he's called us to an order and a disciplined study of the Word to understand it. I've heard it said that when you do that, kind of treating it as a Ouija board. The Bible's not a Ouija board. No, it's not. It's a book. It's not a Ouija board. And... um. Well, anyway, we, I don't want but, but that's a valid point because people do treat it kind of the same way. Sure. With the superstition. Yeah. If it comes with an eight ball cover, don't buy that Bible. Yeah. When you say read it like any other book, it's a collection of books. So read poetry as poetry. Right. Read history as, as history. history. Right, exactly. And read Paul's letters as letters doctrinal. And so, yes. So we're reading it as, um, as literature. Uh, number two, get under the skin of the characters. What do I mean by that? What do you think? What does that mean to you? Consider what they're actually going through. Okay. And their perspective. How do we do that? There's no context of who they are or what time it is, what things mean, you know, just cultural situations and see why they did what they did or why <clears throat> situations are occurring. The big term for that is historical grammatical context. You want to look at the history, you want to look at the grammar. So we've got type of literature and the culture and the context of the person to whom it was written or who is writing it. Isaiah, for example. Alright, good. Um, I know that whenever we went through Genesis, and we're doing it in Exodus as well, we tried to uh, uh, walk a mile in their sandals uh, as we're, as, uh, you know, Abraham walking toward the Mount Moriah to sacrifice Isaac. Think about that. 
what must have been going through his mind those three days that he was marching with his son with a knife in his belt and a torch and some wood on the, on the kid's back. What is that saying? How, how would you, you know, what would you do as a parent? Putting yourself, that's getting under the skin of the character. Just because he's in the Middle East doesn't make that any less real or relevant of what he's going through, right? Um, some of uh, scripture that we read is, is particularly difficult to swallow. How many of you really enjoy reading about when uh, God uh, orders the Israelites to wipe out whole nations or when he consumes Aaron's sons with fire for burning unholy incense? What's our natural reaction to that? What's the natural reaction? That's not fair. That's not fair, right? What, what is it? That's harsh. That's harsh. It's not fair. Our natural instinct is to react to that as, um, well, an enemy of God, to impugn him with immoral actions, right? Our standard is our own sense of fairness, our own justice. But we have to go through, we have to put, put our heads through the sieve, the, 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 the sieve of Scripture, not put Scripture through the sieve of our heads and make it come out on the other side with what we like. Right? So those are hard things to deal with. But we, we start out from this standpoint. God is good. He's just. He's fair. He's perfect. I'm not, so I can't... My biases are challenged with these stories, with these narratives. And um, anyway, all right. What is, what is contained in Scripture? Why is God doing this? Get into the background of the story, the history of the culture. Get to the point that is being made. And most importantly... Look for the revealing of Christ in the passage. There's Christ in the burning of Aaron's son. There's Christ in the, um, in the conquering of an entire nation and wiping them out. There, he's, he's in there. He's, he's the judge. He's the king. Um, he says this, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me, John 5, 46. Uh, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses... And the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled, Luke 24, 44. And that, that, that uh, description, Law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, is a description of all of Scripture um, and, their, and their vernacular. Get under the skin because their skin was created for your benefit, uh, Paul will say. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. It's there as a helpful uh, example for us and is instructive for us. All right. Rule number three. Historical narratives are to be interpreted by passages that teach or explain. Um, what would Jesus do? Uh, is that uh, is that a helpful question? <laughs> Can be. I, I used I used it this morning actually. Part of uh, part of my constant fight against uh, the uh, well, we talked about my patience issue last week um, and kindness and gentleness and all the other things that make someone a kind parent. Um, I, so I'm 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 working on that right. And so uh, I have this issue where I come out of the bedroom hearing one of my children who shall remain nameless who is shorter than my knee, um, <laughs> screaming at the other sibling who is slightly higher than my knee and um, just yelling, Aah! so I come out 
and uh, my the, the the drive was to be loud. The the desire was to overcome the overwhelming noise that I'm hearing come out of the room and make it stop. It's got to stop. It's too much noise. So I I didn't do that though. I I, I took a break. Tammy was like. He's learning. It's been 17 years. He's learning. So I, 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 I took a breath, and, and, I, and I said, um, child of mine who's lower than my knee, um, what are you doing right now that displays that Christ is in your heart? Can you name me one thing? Where, where is that? If, if, if the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, <laughs> uh, long-suffering, uh, gentleness, kindness, uh, faith, and then there's some other thing. Goodness, and I think it's like self-control or something. Yeah, okay, something like that. So I remember six of them, but I can always forget three of them that I don't, that I don't like. And so I said, which, which one of those... <laughs> I like slices of the fruit. So um, what, what part of that are you displaying right now? Immediately. I said, oh, I see the top of your head, a child who's lower than my knee. What? Look in my eye and tell me which one. None of them. <laughs> well, I think the question is, um, he was probably right in being indignant at, ooh, wait a minute, I gave it away. Um, the child below my knee was right in, in being indignant at the other one who was slightly above my knee, but he's not Jesus. He was fashioning a whip, that boy. And he was looking for some justice. Uh, and he didn't have the right to do that. I, I can't say to him, what would Jesus do? I would say, what would Jesus have you to do in this situation? There's a, there's a significance to what Christ does in executing justice that I can't touch. I'm not Lord of the church. I'm, 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 I'm apparently barely Lord of my house. Um, so there is a there is a, a a context in which we have to to be like David in in VBS. Really, you want to be like David? He was a man after God's own heart. You want to be like him, though. Stay off your roof. Um, historical narratives are not. Uh, something that we want to pattern our lives, that they're instructive to us from the lives of, of the people, but we don't necessarily want to pattern our lives after, after everything that they, they've done. We want to use discernment there. Um, hey, yes, ma'am. When I was in a womanary class, and I can't hardly do it without drawing a picture in my mind, but um, the guy that taught our class, it put the, um, like on the left side, he put the, the, the scripture passage, and... Um, what the author intended for the audience that he was writing to. Mm -hmm. And that that was the first step in figuring out what was going on. But the, there is, he drew a line down the middle of the page and said, you cannot go directly from that to application. Right. Otherwise, women who cut their hair are sinning and you know there there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that if you draw a direct line mm -hmm. from what was being said in the scripture passage to application it doesn't work mm -hmm. so you have to use other scripture passages to interpret scripture and go kind of up here to see the overarching principle which may be modesty right and then 
a modern application. What is what is so um, because otherwise where's the connection between the, the old culture and the new and that and, and that what is the overarching principle right. that's being communicated to that audience that is also still there's, there's a tendency to move from what is maybe permissible in some of these historical narratives to something that is obligatory, right? There's a tendency to say, well, you know, David had 70 million wives. I'll go 70 and million to one. That's a great idea, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that worked out for him. That was a, that was a wise move on his part. Um, so, f for example, and, that, and you're right, that's where the epistles are so important because they, they, they teach us about how to apply in Christ some of these things that we see in the narratives. They're instructive to us looking back. And even in the epistles, they're also written in a cultural context. And we have to, we have to sift that and see how the application part of that is, is where are we making that connection? How, if, um, if, if it says um, don't, uh, don't uh, um, eat meat sacrificed to idols, what what context does that have in our culture? You know how 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 does that play out with how we um, approach um, you know living out our daily lives? And, and only eat organic. <laughs> only eat organic. Well, if the god that's being sacrificed to is expedient, uh, don't do something that causes your brother to stumble. Right. So there are lots of things that apply today. Sure. Depending on who your brother or sister might be and what might cause them to stumble. True. True, and that's and that takes discernment and wisdom and prayer, which we'll get to next week uh, on that. Okay, so that's 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 that. Um, rule number four: What is implied should should be interpreted by what is expressly stated. It's a further thought on on this um, on this idea. It's easy to be careless with this. Um, Turn, turn to John 20, verse 19. It says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. What does that tell you about the nature of Christ's resurrected body? He went to the door somehow. Can he dematerialize and can he can he apparate into the Disapparate out of the. Was there a crackling sound? Did, is that what it's saying? You're all looking down. You're deep in thought. You're studying. You're pondering. You're chewing on what's being said here. What does it tell you about the body of Christ? The resurrected body. What does it say? It just says the doors are shut. Right? It says Jesus came and stood. Why does it say the doors are shut if not to tell us that he can apparate into them? What does it tell you about the disciples that the door was shut? They were fearful of the Jews. Right. Isn't that the point of why to say it was locked? Rather than to say, oh yeah, Jesus can do this really cool thing? He may have, but the point is we don't know. 
And so a lot of people assume things about Christ's resurrected body that the passage doesn't necessarily say. It's funny that the, you said what is implied should be interpreted by what is expressly stated. You probably read the same thing, but my notes say uh, some interpreters understand the doors being locked to imply that Jesus, Jesus miraculously passed through the door or the walls of the room, though the text does not explicitly say this. I, is that in the ESV study Bible? Maybe. Ty, I've told you that the ESV study Bible is banned from this class. Um, no, I, I did not read that, but I, it doesn't surprise me. They probably heard the same stuff I did. Okay, so uh, maybe he did float through the door. The text doesn't tell us, but we can't build a whole view on the resurrected body of Christ off of that one statement, can we? We have to go through what's more direct, and, and we don't have it. So, look at, okay, rule number five. Rule number five. Also, yes. whether he did or didn't doesn't change who Jesus is. Right. So it's not something that's foundational. Sure. Sure. That's true. It's not foundational. But some people will elevate that to, well, you've got to believe that he can, you know, and make it a thing. And, that's, and that, I guess that's what I'm arguing against. We can't make it a thing if it's not explicitly, expressly stated. Um Determine carefully the meaning of words. The Bible is a book of words. I know people who hate English <coughs> class, hate studying grammar and doing all those diagrams and all that nonsense. You hate that? Guess what? The Bible is a book of words. If you're going to understand it, you have to parse the language. And there are tools to help us do that. I, and, and the misuse of words and the misunderstanding of doctrine go hand in hand. If we, if we don't, let me give you an example. Um, if you say to somebody today, they are cute. She's a cute girl, right? Oh, oh, that's so sweet. If you said it in the Elizabethan period, you get slapped. Cute in the Elizabethan period meant some bow-legged bucktooth girl. And if you call them that, they'd slap you. Now it's a thing of, oh, words change, right? Now if you say cute, after this discussion, you'll probably get slapped. Um, <laughs> words change. And so reading the King James Version is a good version. It's an accurate version for the time that it was, um, that it was interpreted and, 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 and put down. But the, the words have changed. Um, so be careful with that. Look at that. There, there are a lot of great resources out there for breaking down the meanings of a word, and that's kind of why we have to go, I say you have to. There's clarity in all of the English translations. I don't want to inject ambiguity in English, but you've got to, you've got to be um, conscious of the, of the ways that the Bible uses words like justification. Romans and James use justification in different ways. They're after different ideas. They're not, it's not a conflict, it's just a different way of using that word. Um, but there are a lot of great resources out there that break down those meanings of words, and, and um, I, I commend you to them. Would you like to know what they are? No, yes, just, please, just keep going. I'm, I'm yawning, this is killing me. Um, there, there, is a, there, there, are lexic, there are things called lexicons. 
it's not like one of those things you played in elementary school. Um, it, it's a it's a book that that takes a passage and you can you can see the word that it was originally done like in the Greek or whatever, and it t- gives you the meaning of the the various meanings of how it's been interpreted, and you just kind of go through them and see what what in the context of the passage is that does that word mean? There there are um, lots of lots of. I'll tell you what I'll do. I will post. A lot of web resources to, on the language. It, it, yeah. All, it just tells you what that word is and then a definition right. of what that means to give you. If there's something that you're like, I don't know what you what, mean. This is confusing to me. I need some more clarity on what the language means. Blueletterbible.com is a great one. The, the ESV online has a Greek language app component to it that you can get, um, which is very cool. And then, and then there are there are many others that you can do if you're if you if you're stumbling over, this doesn't make sense to me. How is this? There are those kinds of, of resources that you can use. But I think for your average Bible reading, you don't need to get so bogged down in trying to figure out what every single English word means in Greek, because a lot of it is not confusing. And right. A lot of it we can understand without. I'm just. I'm just throwing that out there if you run across a, a, a difficult passage. You know what else we have that helps? What's that? The church. Well, I, I'm going to get to that too. <coughs> you know, in fact, I bet if you stuck around for the sermon this morning, you might hear something on that. Yeah. I bet. I'm just saying. Because uh, our focus this uh, month is on the local church and uh, in, in the main service. And here it's on growing... Um, but yes, the church also is who, who has been instrumental in giving us things like the Blue Letter Bible and lexicons and those kinds of things. All right, so um, what's that? I said end of 1689. Oh my gosh, you're killing me. 1689. No, no, it's good. Um, all right, rule number six. Moving, moving right on. Rule number six: the presence of parallelisms in the Bible. We've talked about this in this class a lot. That, that there are there are ways in Hebrew literature that, that work that bring out a point, um, and we've seen that. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down, comma, let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Um, that that's kind of a, a, a carried on theme. It's reinforced. There are some that are like negatives. A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Favorite verse of mine for, for, for a certain person who's below my knee. Um, there's a, there's a, a synthetic parallelism. It's a little bit more complex. It's kind of a staircase thing. For behold your enemies, O Lord. For behold your enemies shall perish. All, evil, all evildoers shall be scattered. You see how it gets more increased, more increased. And you see the emphasis there on what's going to happen to the, um, to the enemies of God. Um, some, sometimes those understanding parallelisms can clear up uh, apparent difficulties. In the King James Version, for example, turn to Isaiah 45, 6-7. In the King James Version, this, this passage reads, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. 
I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. So the question comes, if you're reading the King James Version, does God create evil? King James says evil. Uh, Isaiah 45, 6 through 7. But look at the contrast that he makes. Light, darkness, peace. What's the opposite of peace? And Grant pulled it out because the ESV <laughs> makes that distinction. Peace versus calamity. It actually says well-being. Well-being versus calamity. Okay, all right, that's good. Evil is not contrasted with good here in the King James. It's contrasted with Peace or well-being, shalom, I guess. Um, so it would read in the ESV that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I'm the Lord and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being, yep, and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. The, uh, the um, NASB reads, causing well-being and creating <coughs> calamity. And that's a much different meaning, don't you think? Right? So, anyway, all right. Don't make a proverb, number seven, don't make a proverb into a law. Train up a child in the way he will go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Really. That's a promise. Yeah. People have held to that as a promise. Proverbs are not law. They are general um, uh, principles for living life. They're not, um, they're not promises. Um, how about this one? Um... They, they reflect principles of, godly, for God's, of wisdom for godly living. They do not reflect moral laws that are to be applied absolutely to every situation. For example, Proverbs 26, 4 through 5. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And the very next verse reads, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Do we have a conflict here? between verses 4 and 5 in Proverbs. If we have a conflict in Scripture, we need to go fishing and do something else. Because if I can't trust this, I can't trust any of it, and why am I here? Do we have a conflict? It's, it's the mindset, it's the heart uh, behind the action of doing the best thing, the best thing for the fool. And not being a fool yourself. Right. So that we see Proverbs, if we, if we take Proverbs as a promise and law, we have a conflict. If we understand Proverbs as it was really intended, as general principles of how to discern a situation, we don't. Sometimes you just want to walk away from a fool. Because you're probably going to be foolish yourself if you engage in that conversation. Sometimes you stay there and answer them according to their folly and correct their folly. It's calling for discernment and wisdom. Um, all right. Um, there are also differences in the laws given. There's a difference between the Ten Commandments and the ceremonial laws in the temple. Understand that? There are differences in the Ten Commandments and, and uh, uh, the eating of shellfish and the mixed uh, blended clothing. There are differences. It's meant to be a cultural thing versus the Ten Commandments are a moral thing. And the moral laws in Leviticus, which some blessed day we'll get to, um, are, are different than some of the ceremonial cultural things that we see. And we need to be able to discern that. The Bible certainly does. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. Well, 
What if I see my enemy's cow or camel? Right? What do I do with that? It's not an ox. Well, it's a principle involved, like you were talking about. How do you apply it to where you are right now? If I see um, his, his car or the 50 that he dropped on the, on the ground, I probably ought to bring it back to him. Couldn't buy an ox, but it's the same idea. All right, number eight. Note the difference between the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. Matthew 5, 21 through 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. That, that also includes sister, uh, to my one who is lower than my knee. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Um, isn't that a little naive? I mean, it's not like he took a club to the person and beat him down. He's just angry. What's he talking about? How can mere anger be equated with murder? Um, later on, how can, how can lust not acted upon be as destructive as really committing adultery? Does Jesus say anywhere in the passage that not acted upon lust is as um, bad as adultery? It's morally equivalent. He, he says that it is the same as. Uh, it is a start to it. Right? The heart is the issue. There are consequences that are different for one thing over another, but the heart is the issue, right? So remember that the heart is where we need to focus. Um, if you murder, you violate the letter of the law, but, but there's no hiding from that. If you hate someone, you violate the spirit of the law. There's a difference. There may be a consequential difference, but there's still a violation there. He doesn't equate them. He doesn't even say they deserve the same punishment but he's cutting through the delusions of the Pharisees on these things. All right, number nine, be careful with parables. Everybody loves the parables. That's Jesus making things clear. <laughs> he's talking to them on their level. It's very postmodern. He's talking to them on their level. You know, he's telling stories. He's telling stories. It makes everything clear. What is the... Um, what is the, the point with the parables that Jesus says? Why do you talk to them in stories, the disciples would say? To hide from those that don't understand. That seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not hear. And the end of that in Isaiah is, lest they repent and believe. So, spend some time chewing on that as you read the next parable. <laughs> a parable is not a riddle. Um, it's meant to be understood. Um, Jesus' enemies understood them, at least enough to be furious about them. Um, but but the, the, the core issue is, do we get it to the sense that we respond to it biblically? Do we, do we get... Um, a lot of people try to piece out, tease out all these different meanings of the parables. Like each, each seed is this, each, you know, whatever. It's, there's usually one or two things in a parable that's, that's the core issue. And, and, and go with that. Even that's not a rigid rule, I understand, but, but with parables, I would consult a few commentaries just to be safe. I'm, because if you're coming up with a new interpretation of a parable, it's probably the wrong interpretation of the parable. Yes, exactly. And number 10, last one, I promise. And you have it in paper in front of you, number 10. Be careful with prophecy. 
you don't want to start predicting the coming of Christ uh, next June 14th um, by, by, mis, uh, by abusing prophecy, especially Revelation. And it's Revelation, not Revelations. It's just one. It's just Jesus. Um, so there's symbolic imagery there that's, used, that's often found in the Old Testament. Uh, in fact, Revelation has more Old Testament allusions than, than, it, than it does verses. Um, prophecy can be complicated, um, and, it, and it's beyond our study today, but who knows uh, what the future holds. So uh, these are not rigid rules. I wanted to give them to you. I know it's more lecture today. I'm sorry. But I wanted to give you these rules of interpretation of how to read the Bible. Um, and um, it's not a magic formula. Again, it's not a list. But it's a helpful thing to guard against the bias that we have, that we bring to Scripture many times. Any, any questions on these? Did you catch at least four of them? Because I talked really fast. Okay, you have a list, right? You checked it twice? Okay. All right. Any questions? No. Next week, we're going to discuss uh, how to pray. Okay? Um, all right. So let's do that. We'll prep for next week by praying now. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've given it to us to change us. Um, and that we come to it to draw from what you've revealed, not to put our own biases into what you've written. I pray that uh, even though this is more of a, a lecture type class this morning, that your spirit will use what was discussed here to help us read your Bible correctly um, with um, more fervor for changing us and not changing you. I pray that you continue to draw us closer to Christ through the reading of your word, that you, that you make him real and um, exploding in our hearts the desire to be like him from what we read rightly. Don't let us be misled by our, um, by our own tendencies, by our own desires, but, but train us, rebuke us, convict us, draw us to authenticity in Jesus through the reading of your word. Pray that you would help us to um, hold each other accountable through doing studies together, one-to-one -one studies like we've talked about in here. We pray that you continue to move us toward doing that uh, on a wider scale. Be with each one as we go into the main service. Bless the reading of your word and the preaching of your word this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.